All right, so start making your shoe boxes. You can see we've got our, our uh, ragtag team out there ready to help you out on the patio. All right, so we're going to jump into our news series in which we're going to talk a little bit about identity. Now, as I, I mentioned, my name is Bill Stafiri. I'm the senior pastor here. I'm married. I'm a father. I'm Italian. I'm six feet two inches. I'm not going to tell you my weight. I am uh, also the proud graduate of Ocean View High School. Go Seahawks, okay? Wow, that was... Luke got hissed. Now, that tells you a little bit about me. It tells you a little bit about my marital status and my height and nationality, my graduate status, the greatest high school around. Uh, But none of those things ultimately define me. None of those things ultimately define me. And today we want to start a series in which we start thinking about what is it that we allow to define us? What is it that we say uh, uh, characterizes who we are? Now, one of the things that uh, my friend Kara says is this. She says there are three ultimate questions. Uh, When you think at the core of what it means to be human, uh, there are three ultimate questions. Who am I is the question of identity. And so we're all asking that question of who am I? We're all asking, where do I fit? It's the question of belonging. Where do, I, where do I fit in this world? And the final is a question of purpose. What difference do I make? These are core things that we are always wrestling with in our life in one way or another. Uh, and, and identity is what we're going to focus on right now in the next few weeks. Identity formation is a significant, important part of your life. It's, it's one of the most significant tasks you go through in life. Figuring out who you are uh, uh, in this. So think about this. If you're um, a good-looking 20-year-old guy, right, in your 20s, uh, you might... I don't think this is you, Matt, but you might. You might see in some of your peers, you might define yourself by what you have. So you might spend a lot of money on a car, a car you can't afford, but you impress the, the ladies, right? And you impress your friends. I remember as a, a 20-something-year-old, I got a raise at Penguin's Frozen Yogurt. I was going to spend all my money buying like this cool like uh, soft-top Jeep because if I could cruise Huntington Beach in this Jeep, it made me feel like, even though I worked at a frozen yogurt store, that I had arrived in life. So your stuff could define you. If you are a, a teenager, uh, you might find that your friends are what defines you. So whether or not you're posting things on your social networking things, whether you're getting likes, whether enough people are telling you how gorgeous you are on your selfie, whatever those things are, are going on, you may find that your friends are defining you. If you're a 50-year-old guy, you may find that it is your work that defines you. And so if you're successful at what you do, if you own your own business or you're climbing the ladder, you may feel really good about who you are. And then the moment your company finds out it has to downsize and remove you, then all of a sudden you wonder, do I have any uh, value? Who am I without my job? Or maybe you're a 35-year-old mom and your kids define you. And so you've started with the uh, what to expect when she's expecting books and you're trying to maximize each teachable moment in your kids' lives and you're trying to, to resource yourself between naps and feedings, reading articles and blogs and Facebook uh, uh, things that would help you understand how to take your kid through each stage of life and succeed. And all the while you're kind of dreaming about their dream college or maybe it's really your dream college that you're going to get them into. 
all of us, whether any of these things really characterize us, all of us realize there are all kinds of things that we allow to define who we are. And so we, find, we have to ask the question as we start this series, what defines you? What defines you? How do you truly see yourself? Now, again, if you are a teenager or maybe you're in your 20s, um, this is really big for you right now. You are really thinking this through consciously or subconsciously. This is the most important thing in your life, whether you know it or not. Now, as you get a little bit older, this stuff falls into the background. But the problem is it falls into the background until the identity you have kind of established for yourself gets challenged. So if your identity is built around a relationship and that relationship ends, you begin to question everything in your life. If your uh, identity is built around your career or your job and it's not going the way you want it to or you lose your job, you begin to question everything. How, who you are and what worth you have. So let me give you a better question. Let me give you a better question to wrestle with. Who does God say you are? Who does God say you are? What if you could cast and craft your identity around who God says you are instead of friends or status symbols or success or wealth or power or any other thing that you are trying to build your identity on? What if instead you could surrender yourself to build your identity based purely on who God says you are? We're going to spend some time in uh, the book of Ephesians. And it's so fascinating because this, this book does so much to help you shape and think about who you are. In fact, I want to encourage you in the next weeks, um, even this week, try to read Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. It's six chapters long. It's about six pages in your Bible. Um, but read it with the lens. As look as you're reading the words, read it slowly and look for descriptors that describe who you are, who God says you are because you belong to him. And as you do this, you'll begin to see things that are so important. So here's the big idea for today and for this month. God wants you to find your identity in Christ. What I want you to see today, as we're going to just start, we're only going to barely scratch the surface, but what you're going to see in these next weeks is this. During this series, I want you to come away with uh, something so important that you would see that God wants you to build your identity, to find your identity, to craft who you are based on who you are in Christ, what he's done for you, how he feels about you, how he describes you. I want you to come away a month from now realizing, you know what? I used to see myself based on these things. And now I see myself based on how God sees me, who I am in Christ. Now this phrase, in Christ, is super important. Uh, This phrase is a phrase that the Apostle Paul uses. He writes into this letter. Um, He uses it 36 times in this letter. Now, he's really one of the only biblical writers who ever really uses this phrase. He uses it in all his writings 164 different times. It is a significant phrase. So whether you see in Christ or in him or in whom, you're going to see again and again and again that there's this description that, that he's trying to use to help you understand that when you came into faith, you, you came in Christ. You, you now see yourself in relationship to who you are in Christ. And so I want you to pay attention to that as we're looking. And, and this is a significant phrase for us. Now, 
it's important because as we look at this, we will see, we'll begin to think about who God says we are instead of how others say we are. Parents, let me encourage you. Um, there's a Faith at Home page in your bulletin. This is so important for our kids because for a lot of us as parents, we focus so much on their behavior. We focus so much on, on what we want them to do differently. But if you can help them to think differently about who they are and how God feels about them, then you can help their, the behavior part will follow that. All right? So think through some, there's some prayers, some, uh, some memory verses. There's all kinds of stuff. But there's uh, activities Think through ways that you can help during this month. Our kids are going through very similar things as we are. The whole church is kind of talking about this. Think about ways that we can talk about this together. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read the first 14 verses. And it's very interesting. uh, Because as we we enter into this this first section, uh, it's kind of like uh, this first section is, is... it's, it's an incredible run-on sentence. So all English majors and English teachers, just behave yourselves, okay, for a second. It is, it is just one, it's like 12 verses where it's one sentence long. Now, in English, we break it up, but if you have your, if you're reading in Greek, you would see this. But it's kind of like watching a firework display. You know when you go see the fireworks somewhere, and it ends with a finale? It's like, boom, 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 boom. And you're like, ah, yeah, this is awesome. This is how Paul begins the letter. He begins with the finale. It's just like, it's just all, you're, there's so much that's going to get happen right now that I promise you there's just no possible way we can teach you everything that's in it. So relax. It's okay. We have a month together through this. So uh, let's read the first 14 verses. Let's kind of get an idea. He's writing to these Christians, these new Christians, and these new Christians were trying to figure out a little bit whether or not they were going to stay as followers of Christ because their circumstances were changing. There was challenges, and they were kind of, I don't know if you ever have experienced this, where you've kind of, you're doing something, and you kind of start thinking, I'm just going to go back to the old way I was doing it. And this is a little bit the context of what we're going to read, is there's a, a, a young group of Christians, a new church that's starting And in some ways, there's this temptation to go back to being who they used to be. And so you have this amazing letter to say, if you could just understand who you are now, your circumstances will not frustrate you the way they are. Your hope will increase. Your faith will increase. Your peace will increase. If you can just see how God sees you, it will change your very outlook on who you are and what's going on. And so let's look for this as we start in these first 14 verses. And we read these things. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, 
to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Whew. Okay, take a breath. There's a lot going on there. But here's, we, remember, we're coming back. God wants you to, to find your identity in Christ. So it's important that we think through this. Now, this is what's so fascinating, what we see in this passage, is we see kind of a, a past, present, and future aspect working in. So the first thing we have to see is this, that you are what God has done for you. You are what God has done for you. So one of the ways that you have to form your identity in Christ is by understanding what he has done for you. You have to see that one of the things that is this, is that things have happened in the past in which you had no control over and you you didn't move on. But God was moving on your behalf. You see in verse 4 this, he chose us in him. God did something. Before you ever lifted a finger, before you ever took a move towards God, he was moving towards you. This is one of the most important things that you have to understand about your faith is that you never took the first move. I don't know how it was with you and your spouse who made the first move, but it's important to know this. God always makes the first move. He made the first move with all of us. He's the one who moves towards us. And this is why scripture says that he loved us first. He moved towards us first. Uh, And so as we see this, we see we're chosen to be holy and blameless. Now, this is what's fascinating. Notice this in this first chapter. You'll see this in the first three chapters. This is a preacher's nightmare. You aren't told to do anything. Like, it's way harder to preach this. Like, I'd rather just give you a bunch of lists of things to do. It'd be much easier. This is a preacher's nightmare because it doesn't tell you to do anything. It just tells you to be this, to live in this, live in this identity. And so as we begin to see in these first three chapters, you're not told to do anything. You're told, this is who you are. This is, how, this is what God has done for you. Now, as we begin to see this, Uh, One of the important things that we see that he has done for us, verse 5 says, is that he has adopted you. That he has adopted you. Why? Because he wants to be in relationship with you. Again, this this is amazing. This is amazing. That this God of the universe, this creator, this great creator, doesn't want to be known by you as this far distant deity, this this powerful omnipotent being who just kind of dwells in the universe. He wants to be not only Lord and King of your life, he wants to be Father. And he wants you to call him Dad. This is amazing. See, you have to understand a couple, these are a couple of important things about adoption. Adoption means this, it means access. It means access. Um, maybe the, the simplest way to, to describe it is this way. Imagine your dad is the president of the United States. Now, if I run up to your dad, 
secret uh, security is going to, uh, they're going to grab me, pull me down the ground, break my arm, possibly shoot me. I can't just run up to your dad, right? But you can. You can run right up into his, his arms and, and embrace him. Why? Because you are his child. You don't have to make an appointment to see him. You have full access. And so when, when Paul's saying, do you realize this? When you came into faith in him, what you became, you became his family. He adopted you as a child of his. You belong to him. He loves you like a father loves his own child. It means access, but it also means inheritance. It means inheritance. In fact, you see this, this language that he adopted us to sonship. Now, some of you might be thinking, gosh, that sounds kind of sexist. Wouldn't it be more appropriate to say he adopted us to be sons and daughters? Actually, that word sonship is very important, and, and actually it's, it's the complete opposite. Paul is not trying to be sexist. He's trying to show something incredibly radical. See, in the Roman world, only males could be heirs. And what Paul is saying is this, ladies, you, men, you, all of you, men and women, when he adopted us, he adopted us into sonship. He gave us the right. He gives us his inheritance. We now all have this. We've all been brought into this. Men and women are now co-heirs of the future. Now, what does that mean? It's hard to imagine what that means, that, every, that what belongs to our father belongs to us. But this is what he's saying is that all that I have belongs to you. He did this for you. This is a done deal. And so this is so important because you have to think through your past. Because some of you identify yourself based on your past, what you have done. But notice what he's saying instead. Paul was saying this, you aren't what you've done, but what God has done for you. You're not to define yourself by your past, but by what God in the past has done for you. So the first thing we want to see is the unique way in which God has been working in our past. The second, though, is we want to see about God working in our present circumstances. You are not your present circumstances. You are not what's going on in your life. You cannot form your identity by who you say or what is going on in your life right now, whether good or bad. And you know how that is. If, if we kind of see our lives built around our circumstances, like living on this roller coaster, when things are going well, we, we think so highly of ourselves. And when things suffer, our, so does our identity. But you have to think about this. What, one of the things that's happening here, if you look closely, you'll see this, is that when Paul is teaching, what he's trying to help them see is that you live presently in kind of two worlds. He's saying to them, you live in Christ and you live in Ephesus. And so for us, we live in Christ and we live in Huntington Beach, Fountain Valley, the surrounding areas. Okay? We have this present life. But there's this, in this present world, and all these things are going on, and most of us can't see beyond this present circumstance, can we? So when, when our world melts down, when we lose a relationship, when we, we lose a, a promotion, when, we, when, when a, a, we make a bad decision, and we crush ourselves on, on, based on the circumstances, we only live in this world. But notice this unique way in which he says, in Christ, there's this spiritual world that we're a part of as well. There's this heavenly realm that we're a part of as well. Your circumstances might describe you, 
but only Jesus defines you. Do not define yourself based on your present circumstances. There is this unseen reality that is happening at the same time. And all the resources of that spiritual world are part of your life now too. You are not only living on this horizontal plane, but there is this vertical life as well. There is this heavenly life, this spiritual life that is working on your behalf as well because you are in Christ. So no matter how bad your present circumstances are, you have more in Christ. Let me ask you, what circumstances that are going on right now have stopped you from becoming and being who you are meant to be, who Jesus wants you to be? Now, let me pause for a moment so that you understand a little context. When, when Paul was writing this letter, he was a prisoner. So when, one of the things you have to understand is this. Think about, pre, here's, here's present circumstances for Paul. He is chained, literally chained to a Roman guard. That's his present reality. But Paul never once sees himself as a prisoner. He never identifies himself as a prisoner of Rome. If anything, he'll call himself a prisoner of Christ. But he never, he never identifies himself based on his present circumstances. Why is it that he has such joy and peace? Why does this first chapter explode with worship and praise? Because he, he doesn't see his identity based on his present circumstances. And friends, if you, all you can see is yourself chained to that guard and see and the only way you can define yourself is how you are chained to that, to that soldier, then you are only living in this one uh, horizontal line and you are missing the fact that in Christ, that is not how you are defined. And he sees himself as blessed and he sees himself as free even though he is, he is locked up. Well, one last thing that we want to see is this. We want to see ourselves in light of future as well. Um, You are what God has for you. You are what God has for you. So in the past, God has been working. In the present, he is at work. And the future, he is working as well. Past, present, and future focus. Notice in verse 13, you read these words. You were marked with a seal. You were marked with a seal. Now, in in this time, uh, a seal was a mark of ownership. So uh, an owner might seal uh, livestock, you know, brand them. And there was a seal that was there. It said that that this livestock uh, was owned by them. And so in the very same way, what they were able to understand in that world was when he says, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, he's saying that God, what God did is this, is he placed in you his Holy Spirit and you were sealed, you were marked that you belong to someone. Now, I don't know how it happened in your life and maybe it hasn't happened yet. Maybe it will happen even this morning. But when you came to faith in Christ, when you, when you surrendered your life, when you stopped and said, I believe, when you said you threw your hands up and said, I, I'm not going to run anymore from you, God. I, I hear you calling to me. I give up. Maybe you pulled your car over the side of the road and you said, I'm done. I'm done running from you. I get it. You want me. I'm in. Maybe you knelt at an altar. Maybe you walked forward at a camp. I don't know what happened in that moment. 
But some moment you said, I want to be adopted by your family. And when that moment happened, something happened. And what the scripture says this is he says that God placed within you his Holy Spirit. He marked you to say, you belong to me now and forever. See, notice what he also says about the Holy Spirit, that he is a, he is a deposit he is a deposit. The Spirit of God is a deposit. I don't know if you've ever put a deposit down on something, but you know why you put a deposit down, right? You put a deposit down because it is your intention to come and redeem that very thing, to make it your own. You put a deposit down to say, that belongs to me, and I'm coming for it. And in a moment, in a few moments, we're going to share in communion together. And, and in that, this wonderful act of worship, we are told that we are to eat this bread, to drink this cup, until, and remember his death until he comes again. One of the great parts of our faith is this, is this understanding that Christ is coming again. We belong to him. We are in him. He has sealed us. He has identified us. And he has placed within us his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing our future. Nothing then you see in this life is purposeless, meaningless. In fact, there's this very, very difficult um, uh, part that's happening in this text where you see words like um, he predestined, he foreknew, he ordained, and you're going, ugh, what does that mean? Does that mean like I don't have any say in the matter? It feels like that, right? Right? And it's this powerful thing in which God is working everything towards a divine purpose, a divine plan. He's not going to be stopped. He's going to work everything for it towards his divine plan. And we can take full confidence in that. Now, we sit there and go, well, what, what, what do I do? But you'll see in this, as we're coming to chapters 4, 5, and 6, that he's going to say, now, I want you to do this. I want you to learn how to submit to each other. I want you to learn how to care for each other. I want you husbands and wives and, and children and parents. And there's all this kind of activity. And you're going, wait a second. How does this work between you and us? And is it 50-50? Is it 70-30? Is it 80-20? The truth is, it's 100-100. You, you have this freedom and responsibility, but God is working in all of this. He is still crafting out in everything that goes on. He is still crafting out his master plan. And so in all things, we take, we take hope, we take faith, because we belong to him. This battle, this battle that we are in uh, will soon come to an end. In fact, all the things that we are wrestling through, struggling through, working towards, he's working it all towards his glorious end. Paul would write to the Corinthian church these words, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He's telling you, look, what is to come far outweighs anything you're going through. So take, take faith, take hope. Don't panic. God is still at work. So with these things, as we're just starting to scratch the surface, let me, let me encourage you to think through a couple things. We have to remove the, the labels on ourselves that we have placed or others have placed based on anything other than who we are in Christ. We can't see our identity based in our performance or our relationships or any other things. Those things will all fail under the pressure. 
So if I see myself, if I build my identity around my marriage and my wife, I will crush her. I will crush her with the weight of that. I can't do that to her or, or my children. I love my children. But if my, my identity is based on the success of my children, I will crush my kids. I will crush their spirit. I will crush their lives. They cannot bear the weight of my identity being built on them. I love this church. I love being the pastor of this church. But if I build my identity based on being the pastor of this church, I will do things with impure motives my whole life. I will fail you as, as the, the pastor of this church. So what I have to do is I have to see my identity in Christ. I have to find my life and myself in Christ. Because then I can be the husband that Kimberly needs. I can love and serve her. I can be the father my children need. I can love and serve them. I can be the pastor you need. I can love and serve you without doing things out of impure motives. So let me ask you this question. Where are you falsely placing your identity? Is it in a relationship? A job? An event that you did or that was done to you? How are you defining yourself consciously or subconsciously? You may not be totally ready to answer this, but I want you to wrestle with this. How do we... How do we break free from these false identities? Verse 7. Verse 7. We allow Jesus to redeem them. Look at verse 7 again. It says this. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Here's what he's saying. Um, He's saying this. God in his great love came for you. And he redeemed you. To redeem something is to buy something back. And notice how he buys it back. He buys it back with his blood. The price he pays is with his blood. See, what's going to be so wonderful is in a moment when the, when the bread and cup come, you're going to have no doubt understanding how valuable you are. Because when those elements come, the bread which represents his body, the cup which represents his blood, say to you, That God in his rich, deep, magnificent love for you redeemed you at the price of his son giving up his body and shedding his blood. You need any more evidence that you matter to God. In that moment, you will see very, very clearly. He came to redeem you. So I want you to do this. Write on your sheet these words. I am not blank. I am not blank. And I don't know if you can do this, but as as we sing and as the elements come, if you can if if maybe you maybe it's crystal clear to you now, maybe not. But you may need something to be redeemed in this moment. And and I want you to have the freedom to write down on that page, I am not a failure. I am not alone. I am not what happened to me. I am not what my boss says I am. And in that moment, in in confessing that and declaring that, when those elements come, you remind yourself, I am not these things. I am in Christ, and I am a dearly loved child, and I was redeemed at a price. I am beloved by him. 
And at the bottom of your note page, you'll see the, the words, I am blank. And you may simply want to write in a word or a phrase that just reminds you who you are. Maybe it's some of these words in the first uh, 14 verses we read. In fact, I'm going to put a list of just from the first 14 verses. Um, look at this list here of all the different things, all the ways that you are described. Maybe you'll write down one of those, or maybe it's just something else. But friends, you, you no longer need to see yourself based on the past or your present circumstances or your fear of the future. You need to see yourself in Christ. And let me say this, if you don't know him yet, if, if you are continuing to see yourself as someone who's trying to measure up to God, can I just say to you, let this be your moment that you just throw your hands up and say, I'm in. I give up. I don't want to try to do this in my own strength or power. God, if you will adopt me into your family, I want in. And let him take you in. Let him forgive you. Let him wash away your sins. And when the bread and the cup come to you, you take and you eat that bread and you remember Jesus gave his body for you because he loves you. And when you drink that cup, you remember Jesus poured out his blood for you because he loves you. And you can begin to see yourself the way he sees you. And so let's pray for that very thing. Lord, we're just starting to scratch the surface of who we are in you. And I know for so many of us, we just, we worry, we become anxious because we falsely identify ourselves with terms and labels that people have put on us or we've put on ourselves. We pray in this moment that you would redeem those things. That you'd buy us back, that you'd purchase us back, that you would, you'd free us from those things. And you'd remind us instead, as the, as the bread and the cup come, you'd remind us instead that we belong to you. That you love us, that you invite us into your family, that you want to adopt us as sons and daughters. And so, Lord, may this truth wash over us and give us strength. We pray in your name. Amen. As the elements come, you are, no matter if you're a part of Beach Point or not, if by faith uh, you want to recognize Jesus as Savior and Lord, as those elements come, take them, take both cups, and when you're ready, take, eat, and drink, and give thanks.